episode 17 of Inside the Arc. I am your host, Alec Bussey, joined as always by Brandon Simberg. Brandon, Illinois basketball seems to be falling from the sky. But before we get to that, how are we doing today? I'm all right. You know, we had a, a nice chat with Brad this morning on the Zoom. We got Trent coming up here later today. So excited to talk to those guys about some of the problems that Illinois has been facing. But yeah, I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? Yeah, doing well. Recording this on Monday, obviously a pretty busy day. Illinois press conferences with Brad and Trent, like you mentioned, then Illinois football had a press conference with Owen Carney, who announced his return from the transfer portal, and new linebacker coach Andy Boo. Um, so stay tuned for content on that, of course. Michigan State game canceled. Obviously, that was supposed to be on Saturday. Of course, the Spartans going through some struggles with COVID-19. What, what kind of takeaways do you have for that, for Illinois, and what kind of effect do you think that could have on this Illinois team? I think it would have been an interesting game in the Big Ten because you have two programs that were supposed to finish in the top four in the league in, in Illinois and Michigan State, and they've both struggled as of late, but they're both teams that are kind of known for second-half turnarounds. So I think, like, the winner of that game would have walked away with some real positive momentum. And now if you're – you know, Michigan State, they're on pause for at least two weeks now, maybe more as more positive cases are popping up. And now Illinois – as of right now, they're not going to play from Tuesday the 19th to what Friday the 29th. So that 10-day stretch, like, it could be a good time to work on themselves. But as we saw with that week-long break from Maryland to Ohio State, that, you know, they came out slow in that first half. So it'll be interesting to see how what Illinois does in that span if they add another team. But I think it's a missed opportunity for both teams to kind of get a big win for their programs. Yeah, I agree with that. I think you would really hit it nail on the head because I think that was a real momentum swing game for either team. I mean, even though Michigan State, from the Illinois perspective, even though Michigan State hasn't played up to the level that they probably were supposed to this season, I still think going in to East Lansing, getting a win, is kind of something you can point to and say, okay, like that was a step in the right direction for the team. And now you've lost that opportunity, or at least you've lost that opportunity this week as kind of a get right game that you can really point to after. Penn State, a team that you should beat, of course. Um, all right, so let's get to it. Obviously, Illinois basketball loses two games back-to-back, one in Maryland, one to Ohio State, both at the State Farm Center. Both, particularly Maryland, a pretty rough loss. I think it's their only quad two loss. I know Ohio State's ranked. I think they got up to like 14th this week in the polls or something around there. Um, Brandon, I think the sky is falling in the eyes of Illinois basketball. Are, are you there with them? Um, is the sky falling? Is this a p- turning point where they're able to turn this around? Or is this, are they, is this the team that Illinois really is? So I think when you talk about sky is falling, that's relative to what your expectations of this group were. And I was never like super high on this team. So I think this is closer to who I thought they would be. But that being said, on our last podcast with Joey Lane, I defended Illinois and said a week off after a loss, Brad Underwood's going to get into them. I think they'll come out with some fire against Ohio State. And then they no-showed the first half again, as they've done a couple times this year. They just they came out flat and with no energy. And I think that's a terrible sign. You know, it, it, that was a it wasn't a must-win game or anything, but if they wanted to win the Big Ten, it, it kind of was. And so the fact that they come off a loss, they have a week to prepare. And they're down 15 points at halftime to me was the most discouraging aspect. So do I think the sky is falling? I don't. But if I was someone that bought into this team can make a final four deep run and all that, I wouldn't look at this team the same anymore. 
Yeah, I think that's really concerning. I'm happy you brought up the first half struggles. And honestly, let's just get right to it. We were talking about it last night. Um, obviously, the first half struggles have been something that Ono has really struggled with a lot this season. I mean, they weren't great the first half against Indiana. They weren't great in the first half against Purdue either. Obviously, they were able to overcome that and get wins around the turn of the calendar to 2021. But since then, Illinois has struggled in the first half. You were down close to 15 in Northwestern. I forget what it was against Maryland, but it was a close game. You might have been down a couple up, points. Up to. Okay, they were, they were up, up to Maryland. And then Ohio State, I think you're down 10 to 15, close to 13, probably 12. Um, that's concerning. And I was diving into some of the numbers and I think a lot of people pointed earlier in the season with Illinois' slow starts and Andre Corbello coming off the bench, and then everything started to kind of just kind of get fixed. Well, we've seen that kind of disappear with Corbello starting to hit kind of that freshman wall. Teams have started to defend him a little bit better. So I dove into the numbers a little bit more. And you look at what Io's first half numbers have been in the last three games against Northwestern, one of three from the field with four points. At home against Maryland, two of 11 from the field, seven points. And then Ohio State on Saturday, two of seven from the field for just four points. He's still finishing with impressive point totals at the end of the game 15 against Northwestern, 23 against Ohio State, 22 against, or 23 against Maryland, 22 against Ohio State, excuse me. But he needs to be better in the first half for this Illinois team to come out of the gate going and get hot early and set kind of a tone and he's not doing that. And I know he's trying to get his teammates involved and I think he needs to come out and set the tone and then draw more attention to himself and then dish and get his teammates involved more. Yeah. I think it's a, he, it's a tough battle for him right now because, you know, we go back to that Missouri game where Io did all he could. He scored 36 points. He was good in both halves, and they still lost largely because a lot of the role players didn't step up. And Brad Underwood said after the game, you know, we're not going to win if Io has to score 36. And so I think, you know, and he's mentioned this before he's, um, he's trying to ease, he's trying to get his teammates involved and kind of ease into the game. He compared himself to like Luka Doncic and LeBron. And yeah, even though those guys don't score as much in the first half, they're still like, creating advantages and opportunities for their teammates. It's not just them being passive and not being as assertive. So even if Io doesn't necessarily want to score early on and, and he wants his teammates to kind of get going, he still has to create advantages for them and get to the rim and then, you know, create openings for his teammates. So I think he's in a tough spot right now because he doesn't want to have to score 36, but he's still got to get his teammates more involved in those first halves. Yeah, and I think that's really what it comes down to. And I think, like I said, he needs to come out and score early and draw more attention from opponents because he's already at the top of every opponent's scouting report. I mean, he's played at times this season like an easy choice for an All-American. I don't know if he's played like that over the last three weeks to a month, I would say, but he has the ability to be an All-American. So he's at the top of every team's scouting report. So teams are throwing everything they have at him to slow him down, but he's still good enough to go get his. I mean, just look at his second half numbers. I mean, against Ohio State, he had four points in the first half and he finishes with 22. And I know nine of those points came from the free throw line, but that shows that he's getting to the basket and he's still getting fouled. Like he has the ability to still do those things. And I think that to me just shows that he needs to be more assertive early and needs to do a better job of taking games over early. And then teams are going to give him even more focus. They're going to prevent him from driving to the lane. They're going to have to crash on him when he does. And he's a good enough passer represented by his close to 
five assists a game that he can find an Adam Miller or a Trent Frazier or a DeMonte Williams as an open shooter or even throw a little lob to Kofi around the rim. 100%. And I think another thing with these slow starts is that earlier in the year, they were kind of bailed out when Curbelo came in and gave them that energy. And like, even if they were down a couple buckets, he checks in and they, they kind of even it out. But Andre Curbelo's kind of struggled the past few games, and I'm getting a bit concerned. I think Maryland unlocked a blueprint against him where if you go under on ball screens and try to turn him into a shooter, and then on his drives, you you kind of stay attached to your man and make him try to finish over you. That's something he has to adjust with and he's struggling with. Uh, you look at the Maryland game, he was four for 12 and four for 10 from, from two, which isn't great because he's typically shooting somewhat close to the rim. And then against Ohio State, you know, Adam Miller was playing well, but he only saw 12 minutes and had two assists, which is his lowest assist total since Duke. So I'm a little bit, I'm concerned with Curbelo as this kind of secondary creator, other guy to get teams looks. If he's not going to shoot the three well because he's three for 17 on the year. If I'm an opposing coach, by all means, Andre Curbelo, take a three off the dribble. Like that, that's fine with me. So I think to combat those slow starts, they're going to need to get him going in some kind of way. Yeah. And the problem is he's just not a shooter at this point in his career. Could he be by the time he's a junior or a senior? Sure. But right now he just doesn't even look comfortable taking an outside jump shot or even just a mid-range jump shot. I don't even think he looks comfortable. He doesn't look confident mentally. He just doesn't look like he's there shooting the basketball if it's not at the rim right now. And you let someone like that beat you. You don't want to let a a guy like Trent Frazier, who I think we need to talk about later, beat you with his scoring ability. And I know we haven't seen Trent score like he has in previous years, most notably his freshman year and his sophomore year. But you don't want to lose to Trent Frazier scoring 15, 20 points against you. If Andre Corbello scores 15, 20 points against you and he does it shooting and not at the free throw line and not on layups, you tip your cap and you say, hey, he beat us tonight. But you don't want to lose like that to Trent Frazier. Or obviously, Io, and you don't want to lose to Illinois just post-entry after post-entry after post-entry to Kofi getting easy high-percentage shots at the rim. That's, I think, the blueprint that these teams have exposed Illinois is take away – what they're good at, which is double team Kofi in the paint because he isn't a good enough passer out of it right now and figure out a way to slow down IO, which I will add the previous two teams have had the ability to do that because they're big, physical, strong, athletic bodies that he seems to just struggle with. And I, I think that's because IO, quite honestly lacks athleticism. hundred percent. I think IO's had some good games against some athletic teams like, Duke and Missouri, but it's that combination of when teams throw a wing that's bigger than him and as fast as him, that's when he struggles. And that's kind of what Maryland did with Daryl Morsell. And that's what Ohio State did with Justice Suing. And he still got his points. They were just way less efficient. Uh, And it was harder to get those points. Yeah. Like he had to go nine of 10 from the free throw line in the second half against Ohio State to get his 22. Mm-hmm. And if he's having, if he's have, like I said earlier, if he's having a harder time beating his guy off the dribble, that means less help defenders. That means more, that, and that means more defensive attention towards Miller and Frazier and Demonte Williams, all three guys who are capable of making threes, but they kind of need to be wide open or like somewhat open. Like they're not, they're not guys you can throw the ball to on the wing and say, okay, go step back and hit a three or go, go past your man and get to the rim. Those guys are all pretty three point shooting heavy and it's based on those open catch and shoot looks that IO has to create for them. 
So let's talk about Demonte Williams. Obviously, Illinois' other team captain this year. In the last two games, Demonte is a combined one of seven from three for three total points. That's not good enough from him, and he needs to be better than that. And he, it wasn't fair for Illinois fans to expect him to shoot close to 70% from the three-point line this year. That just wasn't going to happen. His percentage has started to fall. It's closer to 60%, which quite honestly, is still ungodly high. And I still don't think it's fair to expect it to stay there, especially when you look at his previous career numbers from three. But my bigger concern with him, and we saw this against Ohio State, he came into that game, let up an offensive rebound to Kyle Young on Ohio State's first possession. And then Illinois gets the ball and he turns it over. And Brad immediately went to Georgie for the, went to Georgie to sub him out. DeMonte wasn't there against Ohio State. He just wasn't. And I don't think he was there against Maryland 100% either. Like, I feel like this team just... Robbie Hummel said this on his podcast with Jeff Goodman, and we were talking about this yesterday. Like, this Illinois team talked a lot of shit, and they haven't done anything to back it up at this point. And not saying DeMonte was the one talking a lot of shit, because I don't think he was, but you can't just go out there and not be mentally locked in like he was. Yeah, I mean, he... I'll give him credit against Maryland. He did grab nine rebounds. And I think like whether he makes open threes or not, you know, like you, you want to see him do that, but I think he was due to regress and he only takes a couple of game, but he has to bring that rebounding and defensive intensity that made him like, you know, this coveted glue guy. Cause if he's not, and he, he only had two rebounds against a higher state, like you said, I thought he was kind of lax days ago on the boards. Maybe they, I don't know if Underwood's going to make a lineup change to shake things up, but I think that's the spot you would do it. Like, especially with the way Curbelo's playing right now, I don't think you'd put him in over Miller or Frazier. So I think if Brad wants to make a lineup change, maybe they go a little bigger and play Jacob Grandison some more. I, I think Grandison's kind of come on as of late. Uh, he leads the team in box plus minus, which essentially means for every 100 possessions, his plus minus is the highest. So when he's on the court, really good things happen. And he hasn't been a great rebounder either. Like he only snagged one against Ohio state in 12 minutes, one against Northwestern, 12 minutes, two against Indiana in nine minutes, but to be fair against Northwestern, most of his minutes came in the second half and Illinois wasn't getting very many rebounding opportunities offensively. Yeah. Um, but it, he's offensively, he's definitely their best option at the four. He hit two threes against Ohio state uh, on Saturday. He's seven for 15 from deep on the year. He's a good passer and he's just taller than DeMonte. So I think that maybe to shake things up, they look at Grandison at the four. Am I crazy for saying that? I don't think you're crazy in saying it, but I just don't see them moving DeMonte to the bench. Like I just have a hard time wrapping my head around that happening. I mean, he started for three and a half years and He's a team captain, and he's a senior. He's been around the block. He's been through the rebuild of the program. He's seen its darkest days. He was a key player on the 12 and 21 team as a sophomore or a junior, as I would have been a sophomore year. Like, I just don't see it happening, but I think it's a fair conversation to have. And the reason I don't necessarily see it happening, and all the things that you just said about Jacob Grandison are very true, but I don't know if that's enough to warrant – bringing him into the starting lineup, right? Like, yes, Jacob Grandison is more effective driving to the basket offensively, but on the defensive end, he's not great. He's fairly, not immobile, but he doesn't move well on the defensive end, if that makes sense. I don't, his defensive ability doesn't 
stand out to me on a regular basis. But right now, very few people's defensive ability on Illinois are standing out to me on a regular basis besides Trent. So, or yeah, defensive I, effort, I guess I should probably say. Is it fair to say, though, I don't think DeMonte's been as effective defensively as he was last year? Yeah, I think that's fair. But I also think he's guarding more fours now than he was last year. And I think the fours in the Big Ten this season are better than they were last year. I just I think that, you know, we talk about these slow starts being problematic. So maybe it's a change to the starting lineup and it's not going to be Kofi. It's not going to be Io. You I think maybe two weeks ago you have a Curbelo conversation, but he hasn't done anything these past two games to warrant being moved into the starting lineup. So I think that's the spot they would look at. Um, and yeah, I mean, Penn State is a little bigger. I, I guess I was smaller, so like that, when, in terms of matchups, I don't think, you know, DeMonte will actually get to guard his buddy Connor McCaffrey in that one. So I don't think it's Iowa. We're going to have to worry about a slow start from DeMonte. But I think it's just something interesting to monitor um, if they're going to make a change. You know, they had these big closed doors meetings uh, yesterday and where they talked, where they tried to air everything out. So maybe a change happens, but we'll see. Uh, one guy I think we've mentioned, but we haven't really touched on is Kofi. And I think he's been pretty divisive the past few games among the Illinois fan base. On the one hand, he's nine for nine in his last three halves. But on the other hand, he's only gotten up nine field goals in the last three halves. So what have you kind of seen from him? And like, what does he need maybe do to get, what does he maybe need to do to get better? So my opinion on Kofi is that you just shouldn't look at his numbers on a consistent basis unless he just goes off. Like he should basically walk into a double double on a nightly basis. I mean, he's seven foot, 290 pounds. I mean, there's no excuse for him to not have a double-double against both Ohio State and Maryland. Like, let's be honest. Neither of those teams can guard him with one person, and that's why we saw them double-team him and at sometimes triple-team him. Um, he really showed frustration to me against Ohio State when he got hit in the mouth by Dwayne Washington on that flagrant foul, and then he went to the free-throw line. He just didn't look like he wanted to shoot the free-throws. Like he didn't look like he was confident in shooting them. And even last year when he wasn't a great free throw shooter, I think he shot around 63%. I'd have to look at it. He's falling to closer to 50 this year. I mean, he was one of five from the free throw line against Ohio state. And then he misses those two free throws. And then he gets called for a charge right after the flagrant. And that could have been the turning point for Illinois. If he goes to the line, hits two free throws, or even splits, and then you score on the offensive possession, like, then you have all of the momentum. Then you have, like, just to make the comparison, when DeMonte Williams is called for the flagrant against Paul Mulcahy at Rutgers, when Mulcahy sells it and he throws his head back and he flops. Oh, my God. That was a gritty play by Mulcahy. It was a flop and a half. But you – like – that was a turning point in that Rutgers game. And Illinois really needed that point in the Ohio State game on Sunday or Saturday to be a turning point. They needed Kofi to go to the line and at least split and then get a bucket on the extra possession. And they didn't take advantage of it. And I think that shows like like Kofi just is mentally frustrated. He's annoyed with the way he's being officiated, which I think is fair. I mean, he's getting mauled in the paint on a consistent basis. And teams are double teaming and triple teaming him over the last three opponents because they have to. They don't have anyone who can defend him. And he's frustrated by it. And that's fair. 
I think that Ohio State did do a good job of being physical without necessarily fouling the whole time. We talked about Chris Holtman on our last podcast, and I thought he had a really good game plan to slow Coburn down. And against Maryland, they just didn't give him the ball enough in the second half, I thought. Like, I get it they were doubling him, but the things he were do- he was doing to Chol Mariel, was, that was rated R. Like, he just was – he was putting toll, poor toll in the bucket. I was, I don't know why they didn't keep going back to him. And I get it against Ohio State, he had some turnovers. And when he's getting to the line now, it's not a guaranteed two points. And it's almost sometimes it's not, it's not even a guaranteed one point. But I think Illinois needs to continue to find him more. I hate when they, like, if he, if he's posting up and he has a lane to pass to him, I still think they should get him the ball. Is he going to make some? Uh, Nikola Jokic skip pass for an assist when he's doubled? No, but as long as he can get the ball out, that at least creates an advantage and gets the ball moving as opposed to having trying to have Io or Corbello bail you out on some dribble drive. So like, I think Kofi's been good. They just need to get him the ball more, and I think that lands on Brad. I think it does too, but I think when you're getting him the ball in the post, Illinois also needs to get to a point where – I feel like when they get it to him, a lot of times the guards just stand outside and kind of let him go to work, and they're not moving. And I feel like that makes it difficult on him. And obviously you don't want to attract another defender to him when he's already being doubled. But some run some sort of cut. Run an off-ball screen to get Trent or Adam or DeMonte or, hell, even Io a shot from the perimeter. When he is getting double-teamed on the paint, and get your shooters open. They just stand there, and that's the problem. And I was talking to Deion Thomas about this prior to the Ohio State game, and he said they don't cut in the, in, when they get him the ball. Like, cut, he's not a great passer, but he's good enough to give it to someone. Like, find a way to get shots when he's getting double-teamed. And, like, he just isn't comfortable at, that, at this point when he's getting doubled. And I think it's because – he is being guarded by people who are smaller than him, so they can just swipe at it, and he can't put it on the floor. And if he doesn't have great positioning, he's kind of just in trouble. Yeah, it's he has to get better, but I still think that there's just advantages there when he gets the ball and you have to live with him missing a free throw or turning it over on one of every few passes uh, out of the post because it creates advantages. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't think offense is – over like I don't think offense is the big issue right now. They're still seventh in Ken Palm offensively. They still put up 81 points in the Ohio State loss. It's defensively where this team hasn't been great. They're 31st in Ken Palm defensively, and in in four of their five losses, they've allowed over 80 points. And I'm not really sure what the fix is because outside of Trent, I don't know who I would classify as like a good or plus defender on this team and. Sure, you can work on schematic things and you can and scout teams, but I don't know if you can turn guys into better defenders. And that's, I think, my biggest holdup with them defensively right now. I don't know if this team has anybody that's a great defender other than Trent. I will say that. But I think there's guys on this team who just aren't putting in the effort defensively and the toughness and the want to on the defensive end that's needed at this point in time. And I think Io's at the top of that list, to be honest with you. I mean, watch Io play defense. How much is he in a defensive stance like Trent is? He's not always low, sliding his feet, like that first thing you learn when you're playing defense at a young age in basketball. I mean, he's not doing that. And he doesn't have that same fire to him that he seemed to have at times early in the year on the defensive end. And I think that's accountability. And I think that's 
consistent effort. And I think that's what this team is really lacking right now is that consistent effort and the consistent want to. And that starts defensively. Like, let's be honest. This is a team that prides himself on defense and they don't have it right now. They don't have that effort, that desire, that toughness on the defensive end. And until they get it, I think they're going to struggle to be the team that a lot of national and even local people predicted that they could be. Yeah. I, it's just not – and they weren't like world beaters defensively last year. They still finished 35th in Ken Palm defensively last year. But I don't know. It, I, you were closer to the team than I was. It felt like they were giving more effort or taking more – like how many – I don't have the numbers on this, but I, how many charges does Illinois take per game? Like I don't feel like they take a lot of charges or – except for well, Trent. Who's taking charges on this team other than Trent and DeMonte occasionally? Yeah, I think – yeah, I, I, it's really nobody. And like – that's something if you're a little guard like Curbelo or Miller, like that's something you should do well on that end, especially in college basketball where just slide in and hold your nuts and they'll probably call a, a charge. But um, yeah, like where's the, where are the charges? Where's that toughness? And I, I just don't see it right now. Well, and I'll give Adam Miller credit. I mean, he had a really nice hustle play against Ohio state where someone missed a shot and he sprinted from the wing was able to get a loose rebound turned around and he missed the three like he missed the follow-up shot which is fine you're not going to make every shot but it was nice to just see him put in the effort adam miller is someone over the last three four games who i feel like has given you the consistent effort that you need i feel like you've played hard from the get-go especially against ohio state so we talked about the sky kind of falling and i think this and we're roughly halfway through big 10 play now uh michigan State would have been, I think, game 10 on Saturday or like right around that 10-game stretch. As we talked about in the preseason, the second half of the schedule gets much tougher. I asked Brad about it today on the Zoom call, and he, he, you know, he, he gave the coach speak, oh, the Big Ten's great, um, all the games are tough. But like looking at their schedule uh, per Bartorvik, which is another good metrics-based system, and it's free, so shout-out to Bart. Uh, they're underdogs in five of their final ten games. Uh, home for Iowa, they're a projected one-point underdog. At Michigan, they're a projected five-point underdog. At Minnesota, they're a projected one-point underdog. At Wisconsin, they're a projected four-and-a-half-point underdog. And at Ohio State, they're a projected two-point underdog. So the schedule definitely gets tougher. So with this – it looks like they're going to have some time off now, but they do have this game tomorrow night. I'm going to ask Brad the same thing. I, I'm going to ask you the same thing I asked I ask Brad. How important is it for them to turn this around tomorrow and come out and obviously win, but win comfortably against a team they beat comfortably on the road? It's not just how they win, and I said this to you last night. It's the way they play. They need to play pissed off. Last year's team played tough. Last year's team didn't expect anything to be given to them. And time and time again, I feel like this team has played like things are going to be given to them. And that has to change if they want to meet their level of expectations that they set for themselves before the season started. And Penn State's a really good opportunity to do that, I think, considering Penn State's situation, having missed, what, two weeks, I guess, because of COVID and having – Two games in three days. They played yesterday, which would have been Sunday, as we record this on Monday. But, like, you should come out against Penn State and punch them in the mouth and never look back. And and put your foot on their throat and never take it off. Like, you should win this game by 15 at least. And you need to look angry when you do it. Yeah. Take your starters out until until the last, like, two and a half minutes of the game. Like, you should not see walk-ons until the very end. 
the the last time they played Penn State, even though they were nine, they were they were down nineteen four. They actually dominated that game then for the last thirty two minutes. For the last thirty two minutes, they won by thirty. So that was kind of the closest we've seen them to playing forty minutes since Minnesota, because at least for 32 consecutive minutes, they were the much better team. So now it's just, just you got to do that for 40. And it's um, not fair to ask them to play like they did like Northwestern in the second half, or even like they did against Penn state for a full 40 minutes. That's really hard to do, but just come out and play pissed off. Like just play angry and play with an energy that if you're not, if you go four or five possessions without scoring on the offensive end, all right, well you should still be giving the same consistent effort on the defensive end. And that's where they haven't done it, in my opinion, over the last couple of games. Yeah, because they're going to need to pick up momentum because, like I said, after Penn State, maybe they get a, a like a mid-major game in their non-conference. But then it's then it's Iowa, who Iowa lost that game to Minnesota, but they've been playing really well. And then it's at Indiana, not the easiest place to play. You know, Indiana played them close in their one matchup for whatever it's worth. Illinois is not playing well right now either, and they played a good game a couple of weeks ago. So that's not going to be easy. And then you're home for Wisconsin, and we know they're good. And then you're at Michigan, and Michigan looks great right now. So they have to turn this around now because they don't. They no longer have time to figure it out. Now they're hit with the tough part of their schedule. This is we're at that five game stretch after Penn State now, where we all circled and said if they win two to three games in that stretch and they handle their business in the first ten, they can be Big Ten champions. Well, guess what? You didn't handle your business in your first ten. You lost three games, and you lost two games that you shouldn't have lost. Really, three because Rutgers has fallen off. If you're basing this off of your preseason expectations, and now you're at a point where you're going to have to win three or four of those games, maybe five, to get back up to the high-level seed that they expect to be. I just don't think they have that in them, and I don't. I think it's more likely that they go six and four down the stretch, or even five and five. I mean, they're projected to lose five games, and they don't have like a great win to hang their hat on right now. They there's nothing that they haven't shown me anything that says, Oh, we can beat Iowa this year, or we can win at Michigan this year. Because like we all like hyped up the Duke win uh, earlier in the year. And it turns out Duke's just not that good. They're not ranked this week. They've struggled. Um, Minnesota. It's It's the first time since 1961 that Duke, North Carolina and Kentucky aren't ranked. Yeah. That's a fun Um, stat. And, and five loss Illinois is somehow still ranked. So, so shout out to the AP. But um, yeah, I don't like they haven't proven they haven't shown me anything that says, oh, we can beat Iowa. We can win at Chrysler. We can go two and zero against Wisconsin. They, they haven't shown me anything. I think they're in the real danger zone territory of going like six and four down the stretch, finishing at what would that put them in Big Ten? Uh, they'd have seven losses. So. 11 and seven because they've lost two games. Unless you make those two games up. Yeah. And then you're like, you're 11 and seven in the league. That's probably fourth or fifth. I mean, then you're talking about like a fourth or fifth seed in the tournament or maybe even lower. And then you're talking about potentially losing game one of the tournament because five seeds can lose those games. So I think they're in a real danger zone for the long-term outlook of their season. Am I being too negative or do you still believe that? They have a seven three stretch in them. No, I don't think you're being too negative. In fact, I was saying to Gavin Good and Matt Stevens after the Illinois game um, against Ohio State that, like, I think this Illinois team is maybe on the verge of quitting on themselves and quitting on 
Brad Underwood. Like I, I, I would love to have been a fly on the wall in that meeting and just heard what was said. And I know that that's not going to come out. The way they come out against Penn State is going to say a lot. It's going to, they have to come out and play pissed off. And I know I keep saying that, but like they have to come out and just play angry and play with a chip on their shoulder like they did last season. And they need someone that's going to light a fire up everyone. They need someone who's going to demand excellence outside of Brad Underwood. A hundred percent. Um, uh, so a, a few quick things before we wrap this up. We talked a few weeks ago about who we thought was going to win the Big Ten. I think we both said Illinois. Did, did we not? We did, yeah. Um, I assume our opinions have changed. At least mine yeah. has. Mine has changed. Uh, just today, who would you say is going to win the Big Ten? Probably Iowa or Michigan. Yeah, I, I have Michigan right now. I think they're in a good spot, and their schedule is easy. And oh, another, uh, uh, this is what I want to circle back to. Another reason is it, I think Illinois uh, the picture for winning the Big Ten is because they only play Michigan once, and they only play Iowa once. So they those can't two make up games, those two games that they yeah, and they just lost two games. Nebraska, which was going to be a win, and at Michigan State, which was a, an opportunity for a win, they. They're, they trail Michigan and Iowa by two games. Michigan's schedule is significantly easier than theirs down the stretch, than Illinois. And Iowa and Illinois' schedules are similar. I think Illinois is a little harder than Iowa. I just don't see how they make up two games on Iowa and Michigan with the schedule and with the opportunity to only beat those teams once. Yeah, I think it's just going to be really difficult for them to make up games because now they're 5-2. and two. No, 5-3 and three in the Big Ten. They're five and three in the Big Ten, and you just don't have an opportunity to make up games like you used to. Yeah, Alec, anything to plug this week? No, nothing in particular. Um, give me a follow on Twitter at Alec underscore Bussy. Um, if I post anything special there, you can give me a follow. Read my story on Tony Adams, actually, on his decision to return to Illinois. I actually thought that that was a fairly good feature story. Um, Illinois has now had 12 players return. Uh, to the football team, which is a lot. It's a lot, what, 12 super seniors, I think, maybe 11 super seniors because Daniel Barker is a junior and Jamal Woods is a junior. So 10 or 11, I guess, guys are back. 12 guys are coming back to use that extra year of eligibility in total. So that's a lot. So read that story, I guess. So Illinois football right now, we're, we're, we're in, we're not in, we're half in. We're, where are we at? Are you asking for my, like, win total next year? <laughs> Is are the are the vibes good? You know, I I don't follow the football team that closely. I'm not in these press conferences like you are. It seems like every day the new outside linebacker coordinator is getting like hired. So you seem you see there seems to be a lot of football news and buzz right now. Are, are yeah, no, there is, and it's funny. I saw some people on Twitter saying like, normally the f- basketball team is the one providing good news or like energy around the Illinois fan base by the end of the football season. Well, now it seems like the football team's the one providing good energy because the basketball team's struggling and the football team has a new head coach, coaching staff, players coming back. Um, there is a good energy around the program right now. Um, Brett Bielema has definitely done a good job of that. And I don't know if I'm completely bought in on them being like a bowl team next year. In fact, I think they're probably closer to like two or three wins and they are six wins. Um, but yeah, there's good energy. It's different. It's more entertaining for me on a personal level to cover Illinois football. I mean, Lovey Smith wasn't the most entertaining to deal with from a journalistic perspective. And Brett Bielema and his coaching staff seems to be a lot better from that, from the start. Gotcha. Well, yeah, I don't have much to plug this week uh, with the game being canceled now. Still, you know, finding content will be tough, but I'll probably write something on 
them coming off of two losses and preparing for Penn State. I did publish a story on Monday about the, the, the man Alec once guarded in middle school basketball. That's right, EJ Liddell. 25 who, on my head, Sam. Um, <laughs> yep, 25 on your head, 26 on Illinois' head. So I wrote about that and how he's how he's dominated Illinois uh, through his first two years. So go read that. And yeah, that's all I have to plug. So thank you everybody for listening and we'll be back this week. Yeah.